from you today. Glad that you're here. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Always glad to have you. Hope you've been having a great week. And we're in the second Sunday of Lent. We're talking about different churches there in Revelation, the seven churches that we're going to be looking at during this Lenten season. So if you weren't here last week, you can go back online and watch the church at Ephesus, find out about that. We'll mention that briefly today, and then we'll move forward to today, which is the church at Smyrna. Now, the first five words of the book of Revelation tell you what the entire book is about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ revealing himself to us. And he does that through John, the apostle, and he says, here's the message, here's the vision. This is what I want you to share with these seven churches. But I want you to understand that what he said to the seven churches is just as beneficial to us today. Some will identify more than others, but it's also good to us as individuals to look at this as well. And so we're going to look at it together. The book is mostly about revealing who Jesus is and what he's about to do in order to fulfill his eternal plan for all of humanity, okay? And so in Ephesians, last week we said that they were a great church. They did a lot of things right. He, and he bragged on them, and he talked about all the things they did right. But one of the things that they struggled with was that they were a busy church. And I confess that I felt like sometimes I see Woodlawn as a busy church church. And it's good to be about God's business. And it's good to be doing whatever he calls us to do. But also we need to realize that we've got to take care of ourselves and our relationship with him. And serving God is not the same thing as having a relationship with God. And so we don't want to ever compromise that. We want to take care of our own lives, take care of our own situation to be the people that God has called us to be. And so for 30 years, Ephesus was a model of evangelism. They did things right. And they were witnessing and sharing their faith, and they were excited about who they were and what they had to offer, and, and they were sharing that faithfully. But then what happened was he said, I have this against you. You have lost your first love. The first love was Jesus. If I love Jesus, I want to tell people about Jesus because he's exciting and he's in my life and look what he's doing on a daily basis and it's new and it's fresh and it's meaningful. And so he said, you've lost your first love. In other words, you've gotten so busy that you've forgotten the main thing and you got to keep the first things first, right? Amen. So here we can look at the map and we can see that John was on the Isle of Patmos because he kept preaching and the emperor got tired of him preaching. So he sent him to the Isle of Patmos so he wouldn't have to listen to him. And he's going to he's going to write to these seven churches. He's going to start with Ephesus and then now today Smyrna. He's going to go on up and he's going to work his way around all the way to Laodicea at the end. Okay, so if you stick with us through the whole series, we'll look at all those things together. And what I want you to see about Smyrna is it was a suffering church. Now here's the interesting thing about Smyrna: it was a poor church in a rich town. Isn't that tragic? You think about all the resources that were there. You think about all the people who had power and influence and money. <clears throat> and then you look at these poor Christian people who are being persecuted, and, and none of that stuff was going to the church. All these people were there, and they were celebrating who they were and what was important to them. But, but they weren't seeing the value 
of the church, of the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. And so it's just tragic to me. Every time I look at that, I think, man, I just pray that we won't have any more churches like that. I pray that God will just move on people's lives in such a way that they'll just step up and come forward, and they'll say, you know what? I need to be a good steward, and it doesn't have anything to do with the church. God calls me to give. He calls me to tithe. I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter what the budget of the church is. I'm just going to be faithful and obedient to him, and I'm going to give to him, and then I'm going to trust him with the rest because what happens is when I trust God first with my finances, he, he enables me to grow in that area and to trust him. And so it's tragic to me that these folks were missing it. And we're going to see why they were missing it today. Now, if you could sit down with Jesus today and say, I want you to tell me uh, what's going on in the church today, what do you think he would say? Well, you don't have to wonder. You know why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his message never changes, okay? And so we don't have to wonder about that. The message that he shared with the first century church is the same message he shares with the 21st century church. That's why his word is so valuable to us because it speaks to us today. And so he writes these letters. He writes through John, his apostle. He's, he's giving him this vision, and John is to write, but it's really what Jesus is saying, and it's to these seven churches. And the seven churches were all different. And the great thing about that is all the churches were there, and, and, you know, they had individuals, and they had believers in them. God speaks to the church, but he speaks to individuals and believers as well today. He speaks to non-believers, and that's where they come to know him, right? And so we can take it to heart. We can look at this and say, now, Lord, what are you telling me today? What's the Holy Spirit putting on my heart today that God has laid on there? What's going to happen in my life? Last week, we looked at Ephesus. We talked about their busyness. And, and I have a friend who said this, we are simultaneously overcommitted and undercommitted because we are committed to so many things that we are not completely committed to anything or anyone. Today, we're going to look at the church in Smyrna and what Jesus has to say to the suffering church. So first, Jesus says, I know. That's the first thing he says to us today is, I know. Jesus Christ knows suffering. If you're here today and you're suffering, if you're suffering physically, if you're suffering emotionally, if you're struggling personally, if you're, if you're suffering because someone you love is suffering or hurting or in pain or something's going on with them, I want you to know that Jesus knows that. Smyrna was a church that was poor. They had poverty in the middle of a rich town. The biggest street on the, in town was called the Golden Street, and they called that the Crown. And sometimes because of the way it circled around the hill, it was the golden street. And the jewels in their crown were temples of false worship. They were Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. And that's where those rich people, the cultural people, that's where they worshiped. And that's why the Christians were not only poor, but they were persecuted because the rich and powerful couldn't understand why they just didn't get with the game 
and worship the way they worshiped and do what they did even though it was wrong. The city prided itself on being the most beautiful of all in the area. They had culture. They had riches. And as Christians came into the city, they weren't a part of that. They were suffering. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, I know. When you're suffering, I want you to know that Jesus knows. He knows everything that you're going to go through in your life. He sees it. Listen, Jesus came to earth in the form of a human, and he went through suffering. He suffered more than any of us will ever know. But he wants us to know he understands it. He, he knows what it's about. He sees it. And that's the second thing he says. Not only do I know, not only am I watching, not only do I see what's going on in your life, but I understand it. I understand it. It's real to me. I know what it's like to live on earth. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to be in pain. And I want you to understand that I know and that I care about you and that I understand you. Now, here's some things you'll never hear God say, okay? Are you ready? Here's some things he'll never say. Wow, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. He's never going to say that, is he? Because why? Because he knows. He knows what's coming more than we know what's coming. He, you'll never hear him say, you got to be kidding. I didn't know that. Right? Because he already knows. We get news all the time. We go, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that was going to happen. You'll never hear God say, now run that by me again. Because he already knows, doesn't he? Why? He knows everything. Jesus knows what we're going through, and he understands. He understands what it's like to be falsely accused. He understands what it's like to be ridiculed and rejected. He understands what it's like to be whipped and to have a crown of thorns put on his head. He understands what it's like to go to the cross. There was suffering there, and there's no suffering in our lives that Jesus doesn't understand because he went through it all. He understands what we're going through. The second thing we see is that he says, do not be afraid. Over and over and over again in the Bible, we see that phrase. Angel appears to the people. First thing he says is, don't be afraid. In Revelation 2, he said, the angel of the church of Smyrna write this, these are the words of him who is in the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet, he says, catch this, you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you a life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. <clears throat> so one of the most common phrases we see in the Bible is, don't be afraid. And so we can believe in that. How do we make that work in our lives? Because we all struggle with fear in our lives, don't we? When Jesus says, do not be afraid, he's not saying pretend that suffering doesn't hurt because it does hurt. And he knows that. 
He's telling us how to live in a real world. Don't be afraid, he says, that you're about to suffer. There are two things to remember. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, he wants us to know that we can trust him about everything because he says, I will be there. When you go through suffering, you don't go alone. Jesus doesn't cause it, but he uses it. God never wastes a hurt. And when we're there, isn't it wonderful to know that we don't have to go through that alone? When I was in the hospital and I was so sick, and, and I, some days I didn't even know where I was or what was going on, I had somebody with me night and day the whole time I was in the hospital. It was either a family member or a friend. They stayed with me all night. They stayed with me all day. When the nurses came in to give me the medicine, I had things on both arms. They were saying, what are you giving him? How much? What is it? They were checking all that stuff. And right after I got out of the hospital, COVID hit. And then I couldn't have anybody there with me. And it makes a difference when you've got somebody with you. But you know what? I had Jesus. And there were nights there when it was dark and everybody was asleep. And I was awake and I was laying there and I was talking to him. And I didn't really understand why that was happening or what it was or what was going on. But I knew that Jesus was with me through that. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's saying, you can trust me. Faith is the decision not to deny your fear, but to move ahead in spite of your fear. The second thing we see is he says, watch out of being afraid of being afraid. Now, let me explain that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, I'm afraid that I'm going to be afraid? You know, we do that. Did you know there are people in the world today, you may be one of them. Maybe you're married to one. Maybe you have a friend. And their favorite phrase is, what if? What if? What, what if this happens? What, what if? What will we do? If this, what about this, you know? And so people have said, I was afraid of getting cancer until I got cancer. And then God gave me assurance of the matter of fact that no matter what happened, he would be with me. Now, I want you to hear this. God doesn't give you what you need before you need it. He gives it to you when you need it. Corey Ten Boom talked to her dad. She said, I'm afraid about the future. <clears throat> and he said to her, when do I give you your ticket for the train? And she said, when I'm about to get on it? He said, that's right, because that's when you need it. God gives us what we need when we need it. So we don't have to what if. We can be at peace in his presence and say, Lord, whatever happens, I know you got it. And I'm not alone because you're with me. Why should give God give us an assurance of something, some circumstance that's never going to happen? Why would he waste his time and our time on that? We don't need that. The Psalm 3, David wrote after he'd been chased out of the palace and out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom, who wanted to take over the kingdom. And now he's been betrayed by his family. And here's what he says. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands assail me on every side. Now, what's he saying? He's saying it doesn't really matter what's going on around me because God's got it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust God, 
I'm going to live in his presence, and I'm going to lay down and go to sleep when it's time to go to sleep, and I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I don't, I don't know anywhere in the Bible that Jesus ever took a sleeping pill. <laughs> Think about it. Why would he need to, right? I mean, if David can do that, surely we can. And so what he's talking about there is, you know what? Every time David went through a tough experience, somebody tried to kill him, what happened? He put his faith in God, and God showed up. God just kept giving him more faith, right? And he just kept having more faith in God. See, what you and I can do is we can look back at the past, and we can say, you know, I remember when this happened. And what happened was that God came along and took care of me. So because of what he's done in my past, I know what he's going to do in my future, right? And so I can be at peace about that. I can lay down and go to sleep. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are that are swirling around me. I can lay down and go to sleep in peace. Now, here's what John Stott said about the seven truths about Jesus. He said, he's resurrected. We know that, right? He's alive. He's not dead. He's all-knowing. We already said he knows what's going on. He knows before we do. Third is he is wise. Jesus knows what we don't even know about ourselves. The fourth is he's sovereign. He says, now, there's going to be persecution. You're going to suffer. He knows what's going to happen. He's in control. Even when we're suffering, he is in control, and he's there with us, and he's purposeful. He says, we're going to use this time that you're going through of persecution as a test. You're going to grow stronger, and then you're going to be there for the next time so that you can be a witness to other people. And he was generous. God's a giving God. Amen? He has blessed us beyond measure. And that's why when we give back to him, we say, Lord, we love you. We want to give you the first 10% of all that you give us, and that's your tithe. And then we give above and beyond with our own gifts and offerings. And we'll do that today with the We Care Ministry as well when we take communion a little later. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, he says, I'll be there. The third thing he says is this, I tell you, Anytime Jesus speaks to us, he brings light to us. Why? Because he is light. And if I'm in the darkness of suffering, what do I need? I need the light to lead me through it to the other side. That's where I need to go. God's word is filled with his light. And when we see it, we can just recognize who Jesus is in our lives. And we, our faith is just strengthened every time we experience that. In these verses, they talk about four kinds of persecution. The first one is, I know your poverty. They were, they were in poverty. They were poor. Again, I've said, it's tragic to me that this city had all this wealth and all this power, and they were putting it in the wrong things, weren't they? They were all wrapped up in the culture of the day, and they were real proud of their temple and the fact that they worshiped the emperor. And the Christians, they were just left out and persecuted. Who do they think they are? Why don't they do things like we do? I'll tell you why, because you're lost as a ball in high weeds. That's why. You need Jesus in your life, and why would we want to follow you? you? You need help from us. We could lead you. The second thing is slander. He says, I know the slander of those who are in the city. And so he, he knew how people talked about them. The third thing was prison. 
He knew what it was like. You know, for centuries there were people who went to prison. Christian people spent time in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing was death. He says, be faithful even to the point of death. In the United States, which of these four things I've just mentioned? We've got poverty, prison, death, and slander. Which one of those do you think we see the most of here? Well, I think it's slander. I think that, that we are really have been protected quite a bit. The rest of the world doesn't really experience that like we do. I mean, we have poverty here, right? Uh, and, and we do have death, and we do have uh, prison, and those things happen. But I'm talking from a spiritual perspective. People in the world today are persecuted much more severely than we are. We're just beginning to see glimpses of that in our country today. Have you ever faced any of those things that you're going through and being persecuted? Where does persecution come from? Well, four places for the church at Smyrna. The first is the powerful. They faced persecution from the Roman government. The government said, you need to bow down and worship Caesar. And they said, we can't do that. Our God and King is Jesus Christ, and he's the only one we can bow down and worship. The greatest power source in the country today is the media. The media has more power than those who make the news. They report the news, and they can influence people away from Christianity if they choose to. And so they can shape the way people perceive things. Second, the culture. In Smyrna, they had a temple for the emperor Tiberius, and they were so proud of that and the fact that they were into emperor worship, and they were so proud of their temple, and they were all focused on that and their culture and their wealth and their power. But here we see the Christians saying, I can't worship Caesar. The people thought, who do they think they are for doing that? So third, we see that they were jealous See, the Jewish people in that day were jealous of the Christian people and their success. But here's something that's even more tragic that we see today. Christian people who are jealous of other Christian people. Now, that's just sad. And often that comes from the people who should have been our friends. But they end up on the side of persecution. And fourth, the evil one. He says the devil will put you in prison to test you, but the ultimate source of persecution comes from Satan. Some things to remember as we talk about this. Remember that we don't face persecution like millions of Christians do around the world today. And second, you and I face some persecution if we're Christians. Why? I want you to hear me now. We are behind enemy lines if we are on this side of heaven, until we get to heaven. Don't let your guard down, the Bible says, because Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the fourth thing we see is be faithful. Be faithful in tough times. If you believe in God, you know, he's going to be there for you. And every time you've believed in him and he's kept his promise, it's just made you believe in him more and more and more. And you know that he's faithful. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is our Lord, and he is faithful to us. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says this, but the Lord is faithful 
and he will give you strength and will protect you from the evil one. Now, faithful does not mean that God owes you and me a perfect life. Faithful means that you can trust God to keep his promises. He always does. He's a faithful God. You need to know about a man who was a part of the church in Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp became the pastor of that church on the 22nd of February in 156 A.D., and he was captured by the government, and he was taken before the pro-council. And there he was asked to deny his faith and bow down and worship Caesar. And they even tried to be nice to him, and they said, We know you're an old man. He was at least 86. But you can bow down quickly, they said. But Polycarp made one of the most famous statements in all of Christian history. He looked that government official right in the eye, and he said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he was killed because he refused to renounce Christ. What a picture of faithfulness that is. The last thing we see, the fifth thing, is that Jesus says, I will give you. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are times when you and I will see suffering in this life. We may see it in ourselves. We may see it in people we love. We may see it in family members. We may see it just in strangers. We may see it in all kinds of places, and we scratch our heads, and we say, why, Lord? Why, why did that happen here? Why did this occur? We just don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Why now? What's going on, Lord? But you cannot find the answer to that on this side of heaven. It's only when you get to heaven and you receive a crown of life, that everything that's happened is going to all come together, and it's going to make sense. Thinking about Smyrna and the Christians walking down the golden street there in that city, around those temples of false gods and images, and they were the jewels of the crown of the city of Smyrna. They must have felt pretty inferior sometimes, poor, weak, not very powerful, but that's not the end of the story. Because today, we're not reading about the people who built those temples. We're not reading about the rich and famous. We're not reading about the people who focused on the culture. We're not reading about the people of Smyrna who had all the power. Who are we reading about? We're reading about the Christians in Smyrna. And guess what? They're walking on a golden street today. <laughs> it's in heaven. And we're celebrating with them because of their faithfulness, even in persecution. Jesus knows, and he understands. And the saints who have gone before us are peering over the balcony of time, and they're watching us, and I believe that they are our number one fans. I think they're pulling for us. I think that the Father's right there with them, and Jesus is saying, these are my people. And someday I'm going to be with them right here in heaven, but until then, they're just going to keep being faithful and obedient to what I ask them to do. What we go through in this life is nothing compared to what we're going to experience in heaven. In that movie um, that we saw, Heaven is for Real, 
they asked that little boy, what's heaven like? He had died and come back from death. He'd been to heaven, seen all kinds of things. He said, it's beautiful. And he's right. It is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for being a God who loves all of us. Thank you that you don't leave us on our own, but you provided a way for us to know you and have a relationship with you and walk with you and be in your presence. Thank you that we can live with you in this life and we can see victory in this life because of you, but we can also go to heaven and spend eternity with you. And so, Father, we thank you. Lord, we pray that you'll use anything and everything in our lives to be a witness for you. We pray that the experiences we go through might be a blessing to someone else. We pray that we might be ready and willing to share our faith, to be on fire for you, to, to be like the church at Ephesus, and they were a model of evangelism. They had a first love. We pray we'll never lose it, and we'll reach out to people who are far from you, and we'll celebrate that, and we'll thank you, and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.